Welcome to episode 24 of the Cinesnob Podcast. I'm Jerry Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Kiko Martinez. Hey guys, can you smell it in the air? <laughs> Mailboxes are filling up oh. with... Uh... <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Jared! <laughs> I didn't have tacos this morning. <laughs> Did you pull a prank on someone's mailbox? Uh, hey guys, uh, go check your mail, Kiko. Uh, <laughs> you have one of those community mailboxes, though, right? Yeah, I hate it. Oh, oh, I have my very own. I know. That I was telling Cody as we were walking the door that the neighborhood kids bend every now and they then. They bend it? How do they you do know, that? It's on like a thin pole. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> they'll come like I'll come home one day and it's just they'll, bent. I'll just bend your pole, huh? Anyway, uh, screeners are starting to come in. Yes, um, if people don't uh, aren't familiar with the screener uh, screener season, that means that we here as film critics get some well movies. You did. Now we do. <laughs> right. We right. all we all getting the same stuff now. Yeah, so uh now that it's Oscar season, uh a lot of the studios want us to see their movies because it's time to hand out those illustrious awards and, and you, you know what my favorite part is is that I can plan to not go to the theater. <laughs> that sounds so stupid now. You know, I mean, I can I don't have to go to the movies. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you want to see the movie usually, but, I mean, it's so much easier to be able to just pop it in your uh, DVD player at home and check it out. Jerry Um, just wants to sit around in his underwear and watch movies. (laughs) (laughs) And you can't do that in a theater. I mean, you you can can. probably. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, mostly it's just sweatpants. (laughs) It's a little cold for just undies. Well, you can wear sweatpants to a theater. I I could. True. You just solved the problem, Cody, right there. Uh, when you watch movies at home, when you watch movies at home, do you have like snacks? Uh, not traditionally. My fiance likes always likes to have popcorn for anything. Yeah, for like, let's watch a movie. Let's make some popcorn. Uh, like, okay, I mean, not just for anything, anything. But <laughs> I usually have a. Uh, I can't. You don't have an icing machine in your house. <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> uh, I maybe like some leftovers. I never like buy food for. <laughs> I would love it. just a giant like plate of leftovers. Just you brought it to the movies with you. Just like, like a uh, a Rubbermaid thing full of casserole. <laughs> yeah. I've seen people that bring in um, dinner. Like they, really? Uh-huh. Like they'll ask it for a to-go box and they'll be eating lasagna or something. <laughs> you know, uh, one of my old coworkers. This is on a tangent here, of course. Uh, would uh, he'd bring his lunch to work, but he'd bring it on a dinner plate, like his own <laughs> dinner plate. Like, I mean, I get it, but like, why don't don't get some portable stuff? You know, like, and it was like a china plate. You know, like a like a ceramic plate. Like, That's it was weird. strange. Yeah, the, I don't know. Was it like a fancy dinner? Was he eating like? No, a- I mean, you know, I mean, it was like a normal dinner, but he'd just bring it on a normal dinner plate, and he'd be sitting there in the control room just <laughs> eating dinner. <laughs> anyway, so uh, screenings. I haven't gotten anything that's made me, that's let me avoid the theater yet. Well, that's I mean another thing is I mean the uh, the uh, groups that we're um, part of they'd rather us watch it at the theater. I mean, if yeah. you have the chance well, to, right, right. I think that if it's a type the type of movie that needs to be seen at the theater, like I don't think I would have wanted to see Interstellar. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I agree. Yeah. At home, you know, especially um, with the like the the disclaimer that pops up every now and then. That's like this is uh, a screener copy. Yeah. yeah, do not duplicate. Yeah. Anyway, it's going to be Christmas every day for us until Christmas comes. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then it'll be double Christmas. <laughs> then, it'll, then it'll be Christmas just once. Yeah, and then it's over. 
And then it's a... Anyway. All right, let's go ahead and move on to news this week. We should probably... Oh, yeah, sorry. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, guys, speaking of... Yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> speaking of what? I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, another big movie that's coming up uh, after Interstellar and after uh, Big Hero 6, probably the biggest film coming out this fall, mm-hmm. this winter, The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1. That's uh, hitting theaters, is it uh, the 21st of November? Um, it's coming soon. I know that. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, the 21st of November. Uh, and we have passes to give away. What? And therefore, the 18th of November, mm-hmm. that is a Tuesday? Yes. 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 But let's count back from Friday, the 21st. <laughs> 21. 21, 21, 19, 18. I skipped 20 in that count. You didn't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's, it's uh, for here in San Antonio at the Santicos Palladium Theater. We have tickets to give away. You have to listen to this podcast, and you have to listen for Rue's whistle. Don't play it now. Don't play it now. Play okay. It. I mean, I'm, nobody's going to play it. Rue's just going to show up and whistle. <laughs> she died in the first one. Spoiler. The first movie, Cody. We're in, this is the third movie by yes, now. I remember. Anyway, I'm, so I remember. So how the hell is she going to whistle on her show if she's dead? Well, it's just her whistle. It's like her possessive whistle. Like she created it and. Oh. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> it's called Ruse Whistle, damn it. And it's in the hung. If you don't know what it is, it's the Hunger Games sound. Oh, okay. It's the doo doo doo. And you put like doo. two. She put fingers three fingers up. in the air. The District Thir- Twelve salute thing. Anyway, don't you're mocking mocking Jay. I can see it on your face. <laughs> but so many people want to see this movie. We've got passes. You have to listen to the show because you have no idea where it's going to come. You, you'll listen. You'll hear the the Ruse Whistle, and we will give out the URL in. In, we'll give out a URL verbally. That's like the worst thing in the world <laughs> to do, right? But you're going to have to listen. You'll be yelling, slow down, slow down, as you type. Uh, Not realizing that it's yeah. all recorded and you can just back up. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we will be giving that away. And there is a limited amount of tickets. Yes. When they're gone, they're gone. Forever. First come, first served. So listen to the show. All right, let's move on to news. It's time for the Real Rundown, recapping this week in movie news. First up. It was announced that there is a Toy Story 4 coming in 2017. Is that the right date? Uh, It will be June 16th, 2017. (laughs) Oh, good thing. Yeah, it was was the 15th, man. I was busy that day. If it was just vaguely 2017. (laughs) All right. uh, So this was announced this week. Uh, John Lasseter, who directed the first two Toy Story films, is coming back to direct this film. Yes. John Lasseter, now the... I guess uh, creative. What is his name? Is like creative CEO. Wonderkind. He's not a wonderkind because he's old. <laughs> he's he's an, an old wonderkind. Anyway, he's he's basically uh, head honcho, right? For Disney uh, animation and Pixar, Pixar, which Pixar suffered, I think, in the last few years because he was so bent on Cars. Cars was his baby. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so 2014. I'm sorry, 2017. Toy Story four. Uh, interestingly. Co-written by Rashida Jones of In, Parks and Recreation. Yeah. And her writing partner, what's his name? Will McCormick. And they wrote uh, Celeste and Jesse Forever. Yes. So what do you think about a Toy Story 4, guys? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of torn on it. Um, I, think, I think everyone pretty much agrees that Toy Story 3 had sort of like a perfect ending. Yes. And, and you know... 
people often talk about you know when you when you talk about trilogies people list toy story as being maybe the best trilogy film trilogy that there is I, first let me stop you i hate that term because it's not really a trilogy you know what i mean it's not what? it's not like a continuous through line it's just three movies that happen to be in the same series i i don't like when they call stuff trilogies when it's just three movies it no, I think Maybe. it's a tr- definitely a trilogy. Yeah, I mean, it's the I, same characters. It's the same. I get it, but it's not like a continuous through line of. Yeah, but I it doesn't don't know. have to, a trilogy. Doesn't have to follow a single narrative throughout. I mean, I, I, a I know. Three movies. Yeah, no, I know, but it just doesn't. It doesn't feel like the same thing to me. You know what I mean? So, like, what's a trilogy to you? Something that's uh, well, name a, a, a well, franchise. Lord of the Rings. The first. What the about first Back three. to the Future? Uh. Yeah, just because it was retrofitted after the fact. I mean, most of these are, except for Lord of the Rings was intended to be three movies all the way. But even the first uh, Star Wars trilogy was obviously not meant to be, not written, not created as three movies interconnected. Right. Uh, anyway. Well, I'm one of the ones that thinks that Toy Story 3 is I, – I, I would consider it the, the best trilogy ever made. And that's over something like The Godfather, which a lot yeah. of people would put. But only because The Godfather, Godfather 3, 3 is yeah. not that great. <laughs> well, I mean it's good. It got nominated for Best Picture, but a lot of people forget that. I, I think that the problem is I, I actually liked what they were doing a lot, which was um, what they they were having short films – pop up every year or two and then they would have tv specials like on abc they had toy story of terror and i sort of like the idea of sort of peeking in on these toy story characters every year or two in small formats um so i don't know i i'm sort of torn and i'm also torn on the idea of rashida jones and will mccormick writing it i I love rashida jones i love celeste and jesse forever i think it's a movie that gets better with every watch but it's i just well it is going to be kind of uh broken out initially story-wise by the pixar brain trust yeah it's lassiter andrew stanton pete doctor and lee unkrich are sort of broke the story yeah for it so, yeah uh, that's the thing i mean where do they go from here the story i mean they're saying that they have a great story idea but it has to start off with the little bonnie character which uh that's where the toys end up at the well there, andy gives away his toys to that little girl so well i guess uh there is such a a gap between Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3. What is it? Something like 16 years? Right. That's a long time. Uh, and it's it it featured – well, okay. I'll, I'll give it that it's a trilogy now because it featured Andy at different stages of his life as a little kid and then as a adolescent and then as an adult who's done with his toys. So right. he moves on. So what do we do? Do we start over with Bonnie? I mean because some of the, the – I mean, Toy Story three is heartbreaking in lots of ways. Yeah, just the way that these these uh, toys have lost companions along the way. Like when when you realize that Bo Peep is gone. Yeah, uh, and then when they when they trick Andy into to interacting with him by stealing his cell phone. You know, just <laughs> just it was it was a real real poignant growth, uh, I guess, of a. Of a franchise, you know, something that just didn't it could because you know it could have just spun its wheels and stayed, you know, kept Andy as a kid forever, right? Um, right. Since it's animation, who cares? But since it actually grew and and we saw the evolution of it, I don't I don't know that I like the idea of a fourth movie. Yeah, well, and I sort of liked how there was uh, there was a, a commentary a little bit on like you, you know 
like this, I think the second one heavily featured like eBay. And then, uh, and like, as you could see the technology growing and growing and seeing how like actual toys were becoming obsolete in a, in a way. And I think so. Yeah. Of course. In the second film. Well, in the second film, they, well, not in the second film. Yeah, because film, but they, the, they become, they're more of a collectible type thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that speaks more to the culture of people like me who does do, who do do the toy collecting and yes, keep know. stuff packed away. Yeah, you don't even play with the toys. They're just <laughs> sitting in their boxes all sad. Like, Jared, play with us. Play with One us. of them's a jerk, like uh, uh, Prospector. Oh, yeah. What was his name? Prospector. Uh, Stinky Pete. Stinky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, maybe they should like wake up in the fourth one, like in the, in the landfill. That's what should happen. They should just wake up. The movie should start with them waking up in the landfill. You know what? One thing I would like, um, and this is one of the things I'd like for Wreck-It Ralph 2, is to acknowledge that uh, toy lines evolve. Because you know, like, now you go to the store, you can buy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. The same as we could, you know, 25 years ago when we were kids. But they're different now. Oh, right. (laughs) So what if, like, all of a sudden there was a reboot of Buzz Lightyear, yeah, you know some some sort of new version because that's one of the things I love. Uh, which is, what's the one where they're the fast food toy? What's that short called? It was before the Muppets. It was I don't remember what it was called, but it's I, one of my favorites. Yeah, with the Ghost Burger. Yeah, and, uh, but that was that was one of the things that bugged me as somebody who knows toys is that the little fast food Buzz Lightyear was the same Buzz Lightyear that had been released like 15 years ago yeah. in the movie's timeline. That's I like that idea. It's so no. stupid, but it, but it's like the toy line would evolve. You know, it'd be it'd still be recognizably Buzz Lightyear, but he'd have muscles and like yeah. stuff. And, and the same <laughs> with like Wreck-It Ralph two. Like I don't, I mean, I don't know anything about Wreck-It Ralph two. I assume they're making Wreck-It Ralph two, but I'd like there to be you know, like, oh, there's Ralph from the Wreck-It Ralph two game. You know, because you know they always changed. Yeah, acknowledge that something evolves. Are you I'm breaking sure. it here that there's going to be a Wreck-It Ralph two? Is that I is heard? That it, I heard. <laughs> no. I, w- I assume because it was a success and nothing that's successful gets to stay a singular success unless yeah. you're Christopher Nolan's one-off movie. There will be a Wreck-It Ralph 2 and, and there's a – Does, think does that, it have an exact date yet? Uh, I don't think so, but I think that they said that uh, that there's going to be Mario in it this time. Yeah, um, I know they were holding back. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder which Mario. Do you remember the, the Mario cartoon from when we were kids? Mm-mm. Do you remember the Dumb and Dumber cartoon? Barely. That, that was I didn't a, realize that there was one. I was doing a little bit of Dumb and Dumber <laughs> research. <laughs> I would have been a little old for that, though. Oh, uh, yeah. Me too. Yeah, uh, we would have been. Yeah. In, yeah. Like, I'm, like I'm the guy that gets to talk about that shit. Might have <laughs> <laughs> been too old for it. Uh, but Pixar, uh, how does this fit in with their – didn't they have a formula like a sequel every other year or something like that? Yeah, they were well. I I think that they were going to do um, what it was it like one original and one one uh, sequel, uh, like was it per year? Stagger? I well, I don't know. I can't remember. I don't know because their their schedule right now is really odd because they've got um, two originals coming out next year, and then Finding Dory in twenty sixteen. And then Toy Story four. Am I the only person that's not looking forward to that Finding Dory? I'm not. I liked. Finding I like Finding okay. Nemo fine, but Dory annoys the hell out of me. Finding Nemo was a little too sugary sweet. But Dory was me. the breakout character of that movie. But I mean, I mean the movie's ten years old already. 
Oh, it's got to be older than that. I thought it, it came out in 2004. Uh, Let's see. Let's see if I'm right. Come on. 2003. Oh, Wrong. Shit. As usual. Well, you you didn't think it was that old, did you? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. Um, As usual. Shut up. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about the giving the screenplay to Rashida Jones and Will McCormick? I mean, they've only written one movie, and it was Celeste and Jesse Forever, which... Is it- are they just going to be added on to the screenplay writers? I mean, they're not doing it themselves, are they? No, they are. The, well, the story well, was broken by the brain trust, but they're writing the script. Well, it sounds – I mean, that's kind of I, – I, I would imagine that there's heavy involvement along the way. I mean, there's not – I don't know how animated screenplays work, but it seems like there's – there there would be a lot of – what was that? <laughs> he just squeezed his Sorry, water bottle. I, I cracked my neck. <laughs> the – you know, ah, sorry God. guys. There's a lot there. I mean, I assume there'll be heavy involvement from uh, the brain trust along the way because we've seen it plenty of times on these films that that Pixar either abandons or totally restarts in the middle of working. What's the the latest one? The Good Dinosaur or something like that? Yeah. That's uh, that was abandoned, not abandoned, but like they're going to start from scratch. So if it's not working, they're obviously not going to to keep going with it. Yeah, I, I just you know I, I just find it super interesting that that's the route they're going. I mean, but they have to have. I mean, why would they hire them if they didn't want them to do work on it and put their own voice into it? I mean, why not just hire? Why not uh, just write it in house? Yeah, or, or yeah, or get a staff writer. Well, it's not like they've. I mean, Toy Story the first three are amazing. You know, the writing is great. So I think that Rashida Jones and Wilma Cromick. Uh, should feel like they're under a lot of pressure. Well, yeah, was because it? if they screw this up, but that's the thing too. As they're writing, I don't know if they have people looking over their shoulder like this is way this is not going to work or um, you know this is too cutesy because it's okay. my, if they're going to let them do whatever they want. I mean, it's going to get it might get a little too. I don't know. Toy Story three got really dark though. Yeah, maybe that's why it's such a great movie. I mean, it's a freaking prison movie turned into a <laughs> yeah. You know, it's true. So I don't know. I, do, was it uh, Story Story the first one, or was it the second one that Joss Whedon wrote? I don't remember. I think it was the first. I think so too, but I don't remember. I, I mean, there's been great people, great writers working on this stuff in the past. Yeah, I mean, Michael Arndt wrote Michael yeah. or Toy Story three. Yeah, and uh, you know he's a Oscar winning writer. So uh, yeah, Joss Whedon co wrote Toy Story. Yeah. So, so it's it, good people come out of it. Good people work on it. So. I have faith that they're – I have – well, I have uh, – what should I say? Cautious faith that it will work because I don't think Pixar is a sure thing anymore at all. Well, I don't either, and I think that I, I just I just don't know if I like this idea of making a fourth movie. On the surface, I do not at all. Yeah. On the surface, I'm like, no, please keep to the shorts. And the shorts are great. Yeah. And uh, I just – man, I just – you know, you're 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 playing with fire here mm-hmm. when you're when you have a what is considered by most to be a really 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 good trilogy, and you're gonna put in a fourth movie here, and and you know it's not it's not like it's gonna undo the first three movies, but you know, Toy Story was one of those sacred things where it's like, okay, this has like the perfect ending, yeah, and why go in and mess it up? Well, I think they only got better. Yeah, I yeah. think they got better. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm back on your side, guys. I, I think it might be a trilogy. <laughs> now that I think about it a little more, I think about it a little more. Okay, so uh, 
Mark your calendars, June sixteenth, twenty. Your calendars are getting full by now, right? It's all it's it's hard to buy one of those calendars that's, <laughs> that's got like like eight years in advance. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Okay, let's move on to our next story. Speaking of eight years in advance, DC <laughs> DC Comics uh, films, the DC Comics film universe has a Suicide Squad. It's version of a uh, all villain storyline that uh, mm-hmm. keeps getting crazy casting rumors. Yeah, uh, Will Smith, Tom Hardy. Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie. Uh, the latest is they are seeking Jared Leto to play the Joker. Yes. Of course, uh, most famously, recently portrayed by the late Heath Ledger, who won an Oscar for the role mm-hmm. in The Dark Knight. So what's the date on this? Do you have a date on Suicide Squad? Uh, this is one of those things that's like, Four years down the road, I think, too. No, this one's a lot closer. Oh, is it? Yeah. Suicide Squad's going to be the first one after Batman versus Superman. Oh, really? Um, Man, my timeline's all screwed up. It's going to come out in 2016. I don't have the exact date in front of me. Come on. August 5th. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Uh, You were pressuring me and I had to do it. Um, You just picked that date. (laughs) No, it's it's real. Uh, So, yeah, um, they were originally seeking out Ryan Gosling to play the joker that's crazy but but uh he didn't want to sign up uh sign up to a multi-picture deal which Mm -hmm. i mean why even get into talks without knowing you're going to sign like an eight picture deal for these uh superhero franchises but um but yeah uh it was offered to ryan gosling he he balked at the multiple movie deal and uh yeah it's it's looking like they're going after jared leto and he still has not done a movie since dallas buyers club well, and he was rumored in the Doctor Strange talks too yes. that uh-huh. still haven't been officially announced. No, but I read that uh, they didn't think his star power was big enough for the film. Yeah, he's coming off an Oscar win, um... but he's kind of a huge douche, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go I've... back, go back and watch every speech he gave uh, or he gave in in. Play a drinking game where every time he and mentions s- dream or dreamer. And uh, and lowly in the background, play 30 Seconds to Mars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he's one of those actors. I'm, I mean, he's a good actor. He, I think that the Oscar that he won was for a role that was just perfect for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like one of those um, deals where – because I'm not really – I don't know. I, you're right. He's not big enough of a star in terms of like a DC or Marvel type role, but – I don't know if he's great hair though. God, it's luxurious. <laughs> and those piercing eyes. Oh my god. So guys, what do y'all think? What do y'all think? Everybody, you know, is you know, uh, up in arms because you know this is Heath Ledger's role and nobody wants it. I don't. Know. I don't buy that it's, at all. I think it's just too close to, to to Heath Ledger's role. I think that it needs room to breathe, and I especially think that Jared Leto would be not smart to take it because I think that. No matter what happens in this movie, his role it's going to be compared to Heath Ledger. He's not going to be able to escape it. He's not going to be able to have it seen on its own merits, and it's going to be negative because you just – I mean you're taking maybe the best villain of all time in a movie, and you're going to try to do it like less than a decade. Let's be after. honest though. Let's be honest. Before Heath Ledger died, people were saying the same thing about this regarding Jack Nicholson. Well – No, it's true. I mean, it's, yeah, but it was, it was like what, 20 years removed? Uh, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, just shy of that. But I mean, that's when people think of when people thought of the Joker before Heath Ledger 
before Heath Ledger, people saw Heath Ledger's performance, and really, if we're being honest, before Heath Ledger died, people thought of Jack Nicholson. And you, yeah. you I mean, that's this. You know, Jack Nicholson is already larger than life as a person. Yeah, playing the Joker, it was super larger than life. You know, there are people that think that. You know, I talked to people that, that at the time. Obviously, they don't think it's the same movie universe, but they thought, you know, why are they doing the Joker again? Because Jack Nicholson already did this perfect take on it. Right. And at the at the end of the day, it's just intellectual property that DC owns that they're going to make money off of. I mean, they're already doing Batman again, and I think, you know, most people would say that The Dark Knight is the definitive take on Batman. Right. And it's not stopping him from doing it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's hard to argue that it's. Too close because I mean, if the Sinister Six is the next thing in the canon, and they want to use the Joker, Su- Suicide it's, Squad. Sorry, you're crossing Suicide Marvel Squad. Yeah. You Suicide just Squad. It's, so <laughs> it's, a lot of, it's a lot of S's. A lot of S's. Um, I mean, they they want the character. So what are they going to do? I mean, it's just take the character out. I mean, I just think it's going it to. I just I just think it's going to bite him in the ass. I think it's I think it's a a poor decision. I understand it. Like, I get you want to make money and you want to put the characters that, I mean, how are you going to have a Batman without his arch nemesis? And, but it's like, it's, it's just going to not, it's not going to work out well for them. And, and especially when they're already, you know, you know, they've got one foot in the grave from Marvel, just like constantly, you know, um, you know, out, uh, one upping them. And I just like, I just do not see how this ends you know, again, The Dark Knight came out in 2008, and this movie's going to come out in 2016. I mean, it's only eight years removed from Heath Ledger's uh, performance. People are it. saying this, we're saying the same thing about Ben Affleck as Batman, though. I mean, there's this, and nobody's nobody's like super jazzed about Ben Affleck as Batman. But it, I mean, there's, it's you're getting a, 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 you know, an incredibly hot actor. Uh, <laughs> really? I mean, you, know, you think? <laughs> I mean, in terms of both. Definitions of the word hot. Oh, you're starting to but, sweat, right? <laughs> I've been I've had an Affleck crush for like 17 years now, yeah. fellas. Ever since chasing Amy. He calls it an afflection. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but I mean, you you know you you're going after quality people. I mean, yeah. Affleck after his career renaissance here. I mean, you're seeing a, a studio that's going after people that have pedigrees. You've got Jared Leto. Because you could cast anybody as the fucking Joker, frankly. Like yeah. a skinny white dude, you know, with a weird face could be the Joker. But you're going after an Oscar winner. First you go after Ryan Gosling, huge star. Yeah. You know, women love him. Uh, but then you go after Jared Leto, who's an Oscar winner. Yeah. I mean, you can't take that away from him, even though yeah. he, even though he kind of is like a huge douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a it's a sound strategy, I think. If you're gonna look, if you're gonna recast a role that people that you think people are going to forever associate with Heath Ledger who did win an Oscar for it. What route do you go? What route do you go? Do you go other than casting another Oscar winner? Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, just to be fair or just to say, I'm not coming from a point of like, I hold this thing sacred and, uh, I don't want anything to tarnish it. It's just purely from a standpoint of, it's just not, it's going to work out poorly for them. I don't understand. I don't know why you think it's going to work out poorly. Because it's going to be compared unfavorably. Jared Leto could, like kick ass as the Joker, and people are going to go. It's not as good as Heath Ledger. Well, it's really just going to happen. I think you, that's you, for everything, though. People talk about the movie. I mean, it, the whole thing. If you want to break it down further, the the whole endeavor. People are going to say, "Well, it's not as good as Marvel's doing." Yeah. I mean, but 
what do they do? They got to play the game. I guess. I mean, nobody was holding a gun to their head and forcing them to reboot Batman. I mean, it's a... Come on, though. Let's be honest. This is huge intellectual property that they can't just let sit there. Well, they let it sat, it sat there between the, the Keaton Batman and the... Or not the Keaton Batman, the like the Clooney. That was Do you know how long one. that was? No. Eight years. Was it? Yes. Between Batman Begins and the last one? It was uh, two, 1997. Okay, was Batman that, and Robin, and then the Batman Begins came out in 2005. Okay, but that was eight years between Batman series. The Nolan series ended last year, 2013. No, it was 2012. Was it? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, 2012, and then between 2015, that's but, three so you've years. Got, but you've got eight years since the last uh, Joker. I'm just talking about Batman in general. Well, I'm trying to break it down further to the Joker. Well, so I don't give the- a shit what you're trying to do, Jared. <laughs> well, look, it's it's going to get people into seats, I think, because they were going to want to see ooh, who's the new well, Joker. Well, frankly, you got to have the Joker. I mean, that's that's why it was teased at the end of Batman Begins. You know, he he there's, he's got a Joker card because you you got to save the villain for some other future. You got to save the best villain for some other future installment. That's why you start with the yeah the schlub in in the scarecrow and and ras agul and batman begins yeah and again i just i just i don't think it's a good idea i get it i get do you, it do you honestly let's look at it if heath ledger hadn't died do you think we'd be think, saying the same things uh that's that's a tough question to answer i think that because it, it depends on if you think that his death played into the sort of you know gigantic thing that his you know this performance and this character became if you think it contributed to it if you think he would have won the oscar had he stayed alive or if you think it would be like, i don't think he would have Ooh, that's, that's that's no i mean i mean I, and but it's hard to ignore a breakout performance like that well i not really break out because he you know obviously he probably should have won for uh brokeback mountain instead of Truman, because he created his own character as opposed to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, I don't agree. I don't impersonating Truman Capote. Philip <laughs> Seymour Hoffman was amazing, but uh, you know, I, I think that I, I don't know. I, I'm of the belief that if you take the Joker out of the Dark Knight, it is maybe half as good of a movie. I, well, I what are you talking about? That of course you're changing the movie. What do you mean? Well, I mean, what, what I mean, I mean the non-Joker scenes are not nearly as good as the Joker scenes. Is what I'm saying. Okay. And but so I, I think that, you know, that obviously... I, I don't know that they'd give a perform a, a supporting actor Oscar. Well, maybe, maybe they would have given it to him had he lived. But I think that that he died is why he won the Oscar. I think it's hard to... I mean... I think it's... Yeah, I mean... It was a career-making performance, and then he tragically died before he could see any of the success, any of the success from it. Right. So I think that's... It's a tough one. But and, and I think if he had lived... I think we'd be okay with a new Joker because we'd talk to Keith Ledger about it. Be like, "Oh, what do you think?" He'd be like, "Oh, no, it's great. Time to move on." You know? <laughs> no, I, I think that's, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am surprised at your passion for the Joker. I'm, I don't have passion for it. I just He's said gonna it. be it's going to be a bad idea. Backflips for he, for Jared Leto when the movie comes out. He's going to walk as, out of the theater and like that was look, better than Heath Ledger. Look, as long <laughs> so where's Heath Ledger buried? I want to go spit on his grave. As long as as long as uh as long as 30 seconds to Mars does a suicide squad theme, I'm totally cool. Oh my god. <laughs> it's very bombastic. I will admit to liking some 30 seconds to Mars, but really? it is very bombastic rock. 
It's him and his brother, right? Who who cares? I do. Because their hair is so magnificent. <laughs> no, no. I mean, like, if we're talking, like, hierarchy of hair in Hollywood uh, celebrities, Jared Leto has to be top three. Who's the other two? Carrot uh, Top. <laughs> yeah, Carrot Top and uh, Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> I think Patrick Stewart. Just because he has a great hair and he chooses not to use it. Does I haven't I don't have have I ever seen him with hair? I don't think I've ever seen him with hair. <laughs> Just kidding. He's been, he's been bald ever since he was successful. <laughs> as far as I knew. Anyway, uh, that's enough of this. Let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have Big Hero Six. Hello, I am Baymax, your personal healthcare companion. Uh, hey, uh, ba- Baymax. I didn't know you were still active. I heard a sound of distress. What seems to be the trouble? Oh. I just stubbed my toe a little. I'm fine. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your pain? A zero? I'm okay, really. Thanks. You can shrink now. Does it hurt when I touch it? That's okay. No, no touching. You have fallen. You think? Ow. On a scale of one, Ow. on a scale, ah. on a scale, Ow. on a scale of one to ten, <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your pain? <clears throat> Zero. It is all right to cry. No, 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 crying no. Crying no. is a natural no. response to pain. I'm not crying. I will scan you for injuries. Don't scan me. Scan complete. Unbelievable. You have sustained no injuries. However, your hormone and neurotransmitter levels indicate that you are experiencing mood swings, common in adolescence. Diagnosis? Puberty. Whoa, what? A special bond develops between robot Baymax and prodigy Hiro Hamada, who team up with a group of friends to form a band of high-tech heroes. So we've all seen this. Kiko, you've seen this twice, right? Yeah, I uh, saw the... um... So why don't you start? <laughs> yeah, you got, I got to, you I got got to, to be all Hollywood about it. Yeah, too. I got to go to Hollywood and uh, check out the film and interview the cast and interview Baymax. You can see that at cinesnob.net. That's a great interview, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then also I wanted my uh, little girl to see it. So uh, I brought her home all these toys from the from the press junket I went to. So she already like fell in love with you know the character before she even saw the movie. So yeah. when we went and sat down, it was the first actually the first movie she – sat through since she's you know uh old enough to sit in her own seat and you know carry her own popcorn and things like that so it was <laughs> carry her own popcorn why well, i i, I took Gary, her... you take this <laughs> well, you know, needs a nap <laughs> you know i took her to the movies when she was a like you know i think the first movie we took her to she was like days old she i just, think i remember that she just like and everybody like, was like oh Oh, that was a fucking baby. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I, I got to see uh, Twilight, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's probably some like terrible horror movie that you took her to. <laughs> she was asleep the whole thing. Anyway, she doesn't sleep now. She runs up and down the um, the aisles if she's not interested in what she's watching. And yeah. she sat through the whole thing. So you got to give her props for that, at least with my kid. Anyway, um... <laughs> Big Hero Six. I really, I really like this movie. It's from the, uh, I, I hate that whole thing. The, from the makers of uh, Frozen and Wreck It Ralph. You got to do it. <laughs> got to sell those tickets. Got to give a reference point. Right. Um. It's it's a lot of fun. I thought. Um. The the opening sequences when we see Hero uh, uh, doing these underground bot fights. That that scene was great. 
Um, and I think that uh, as as in any uh, Walt Disney uh, animation, they really try to bring uh, forward the uh, emotional uh, story along with any of the uh, you know fighting sequences and action sequences that come with it. Um, and they did a great job. There's a brother a brother story here with a, a young brother and an older brother, and I think it really you know finds a, a nice uh, nice way to bring that relationship together. Uh, where it lost me a little bit, some of the uh, superhero stuff, which is kind of surprising, uh, kind of got a little bit, uh, you know, been there, done that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I thought that, uh, you know, it was exciting. The I think the score, they sent me the score and I've been listening to it. Uh, they just gave you everything, didn't they? <laughs> you have a Baymax hoodie. You should have worn it. <laughs> I should have. It's it's like it's all white, right? Yeah, it's gonna get dirty soon. <laughs> it's, um, all, it's not. It's, already, yeah. it's all white. <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, great elements of this movie. Yeah. Um, again, I said the score was great. Um, and then uh, the, uh, the 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 writing up to the the superhero stuff is is really done well, I thought. But again, uh, we've the the reason that it's interesting is because this is the first Marvel type movie that's uh, become a uh, animation, and so um, seeing that uh, you know go to the big screen now and catching you know they're trying to get that little boy demographic back because they have the princess demographic. Oh yeah, to, yeah. The Frozen solidified that. Right, right. So they need to find the, a way to get the little boys into the theater, um, into the theaters. <laughs> Shut up. Do you need to watch the You need to watch the Damon Wayne's interview because he you said that and he or something similar and he and he gave you a pause. Oh, and it was really funny, and you you, you, you didn't notice a pause like what? Like he didn't agree with me? No, you, you interviewed Damon Wayne's Jr. and you said you need. There's a way to get little boys back in the theater. Or, no, he he so said he said something like you need to like Disney had the little boys locked up or something. <laughs> oh, like that. that's what it was. And he just yeah. goes pause. <laughs> do, you, do you not know what that means? Kind of. He said the word pause. Yes, <laughs> I didn't hear that. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. You know, because it sounded bad. Oh right. So when you say something that sounds, I think you threw him off by asking about Blank Man to start off. <laughs> I, do Do you think he he thought you thought he was, he was his, his dad? dad? <laughs> say that again. Do you when you asked when you asked Damon Wayne's Jr. because they they friggin sound exactly alike by the yeah. way when you asked Damon Wayne's Jr. about uh, who would win in a fight between Blank Man. And wasabi in uh-huh. your interview. Do you think Damon Wayans Jr. thought you thought he was his dad? I don't think so. Cause he cause he kind of reacts yeah. strangely. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I would have to have been real stupid to think it was actually Damon Wayne. No, I know, I know, but I mean this And you are, to be fair. <laughs> I, I just wonder if he thought that. He's like, this fucker's talking about my dad. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I just—it was just a thought that crossed my mind when I maybe I should have said, "Are your dad's superhero?" If you and your dad were to take, you know, fight each other, would Blank Man or you know, whatever, you know? <laughs> that's, that's anyway, not that's, to do. That's, we're off on a tangent. Anyway, so Cody, yeah. uh, I know you and I were a little less enthusiastic about this than Kiko was. Yeah, I, I, this movie. Barely works for me. I think. Uh, I, I think the best part of this movie is the uh, getting to know Baymax, mm-hmm. and when Baymax is still this this really cheery uh, person who's who's the the medical assistant, whatever you want to call him, uh, the healthcare provider who is really eager to help. And 
the great thing they did in the design of Baymax was he is uh, he's inflatable, he's giant, he's made out of vinyl, and he he moves very slowly and deliberately. <laughs> in the scenes where Baymax is sort of like trying to navigate his way around objects or like really slowly, you know, dawdling around rooms and stuff like that, those are the best. Those yeah. are the best parts of the movie. Um, and I could have watched an entire movie of just this guy, this kid, and his healthcare, you know, specialist person. Uh, that sounds so like boring. I know. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when it's not a robot, like, yeah. oh, I'd watch a movie about a young boy and his healthcare yeah, specialist. It's just a nurse that follows <laughs> some him HMO around. guy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I think that once the superhero storyline comes into play, uh, I think it gets really generic, and I think that. Um, it sort of falls into typical origin story type of superhero stuff. Um, there's some scenes that are kind of cool, I guess. Um, and I, but I think that, you know, it starts off with this, the brother scene that is that you know, Disney does one thing really well and it's, and it's making really emotional scenes that are easy enough for kids to handle, but powerful enough for adults to like really feel, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a severe emotional tug to them and uh and i think it does that well and then it sort of just loses that and i think it loses uh it it loses you know this this incident that happens as being the inciting event for everything it gets it gets a little muddy i think in the first half of the movie it threatens to be a great movie like it like the relationship between hero and his brother and then hero and baymax and just the characterization of baymax voiced by scott adsit yeah you may know as uh, Pete Hornberger from 30 Rock mm-hmm. and uh, did some stuff on Adult Swim. The uh, Moral Oral. Moral Oral. That's right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Those scenes with the two of them are fantastic. Like you said, when he's just noodling around yeah. and the vinyl, his little legs. If you watch Kiko's interview, you can see it where he walks in and his legs like scrape together. It's like, <laughs> sounds like, you know. Two raincoats rubbing against each other. <laughs> so, uh, and he's got this just expressionless face. But it's just so warm and inviting. And I mean, if there's one thing that it, at least modern animated movies do extremely well, it's create lovable characters. You know, the, regardless of the the quality of the film they're in, stuff like the Minions is what I think of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know shit about the Despicable Me yeah. movies because I haven't seen either one. Yeah. But I recognize those Minions, and I can understand why they're popular. And then Baymax, especially. Wally. I mean, that's a different. Yeah. It's Pixar, but. But. Uh, but Baymax, I mean, right away I can like this is just and, and immediately appealing. But then when like and, and even up to like the where he runs out of battery and he starts deflating yeah. and he's he's basically drunk. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's great. And then yeah, like, but when it gets to the superhero stuff, uh, the motivation gets a little muddy. The motivation gets very muddy. Cause I agree. All of a sudden, you have this this kid, you know, uh, teaming up uh, all of his, you know. F- his friends that were his brother's friends that have now become his friends yeah. and hero and uh Baymax turning him into you know fighting machines yeah and then you don't really understand why cuz none of them yeah. understand why right and i think that also another problem is those those friend characters none of them are well defined at all there's too many of them yeah there's way too many of them like tj miller's is probably the best but only because tj miller is funny in that role and i love damon wayne's jr uh i love him on new girl but here he's just nothing like there's nothing just a to voice him. yeah i mean there's just these are just voices and generic characters that don't really do much and then 
one big problem I had, uh, and I won't I won't spoil it, and I won't open the spoiler zone because it's not a huge deal. But uh, um, you know, there's a point in in the final climactic battle where uh, where a hero and Baymax decide to do something. Uh, uh, God, I, I don't know how to say it without giving it away. The actual climax. Uh, it, it happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's the final battle. Okay, and you know, it, you know what I'm talking about. It's where, uh, God damn, I don't know how to, I don't know how to tiptoe I'm, I'm, around this. I'm, I think I know what you're talking about, but I'm not entirely sure. They, they basically start helping someone. Okay, they okay, okay, be okay, 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 okay. I don't get that. I don't like that. That motivation. I, I did not. Well, understand. you know what? You know what? I think the end of the movie uh, suffers from is. Uh, a tonal difference from the beginning is the beginning has real stakes. Yes. Like, uh, you know, people, you know, get hurt and, and bad things happen. And then by the end of the movie, everything gets reset. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wished it would have, have kept those, those stakes that, that the film initially set up. Cause then yeah. it just feels it like it's lost. It really does. Yeah. And, it, by the end, it just feels like another generic kids movie. Well, and also, to piggyback off of that, it feels like a generic kids movie, and I was searching everywhere for fingerprints of Marvel on this thing, and I didn't find anything. To me, it just seemed like any studio could have put together a superhero movie and churned that out. I don't get the, you know, if if you have the any sort of Marvel, and I don't again, I don't know how much input Marvel had on this movie, or if it, they just literally took the property and adapted it. I think that's what happened. But if you're gonna put like Marvel's Big Hero Six or whatever. There's no hallmark of that at all to me. I think they, they didn't put Marvel's big yeah, six. It's saying Disney. You're you're missing the Marvel marketing completely here. It's just Disney's big hero six. I think it's only been in like in stories about the movie that mentioned that it was based on a Marvel comic. Because right. I, I from what I hear, the comic is completely different. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, it's totally different. I mean, the characters don't look anything like they look now, and the storylines are different. And Hero is in love with um, Honey Lemon. In okay. the comic book, and here, I mean, there's no Isn't way. Isn't Baymax like a dragon thing too? He's not. Baymax looks. To, I mean, Baymax doesn't look like a fluffy marshmallow anymore. Or in the in the in the original comic books, I only know this because I redid my research before you know seeing the film. Before I didn't, uh, before you were brainwashed by Disney, <laughs> I didn't actually wa- read Big Hero Six. Let, let's comic. let's uh, touch on the short that played before the film. Yeah, uh, that I only got to see half of because my friggin' 3D glasses weren't working. <sighs> yeah. So I had to leave the theater and track someone down to get some new 3D glasses. I hate those active 3D glasses. Yeah, by the way, I do too. Anyway, I, I wish they would all switch to the 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 like the Wayfarer uh, style, uh, Look, just the recyclable pol- ones. Polarized lenses, I think, is what right. It is. Right. They, yeah. Well, the short is called a uh, feast, and uh, it's the first time in a while that uh, Disney's gone back to. Um, original hand-drawn type uh, animation. Um, I'm not really sure when no, the last time it was Paperman. Well, Paperman was a combination of hand-drawn and and CGI. This was. I don't think this was hand-drawn. Yeah, I don't think so either. Did they tell you that? I don't. They didn't look, tell me that. Like, it doesn't look hand-drawn to me. It looks. It looks like that Paperman style where it's kind of a the cell cell shaded 3D. I. I. But frankly, I only saw half of it, so. I think it's a final line advocation animated short film. What does that mean? Or advection. Final line advection is what it says. With the- I think that's probably the same stuff as Paperman. Because Paperman was a brand new 
Uh, yeah, it is. Medium. Yeah, because if you put in final line advection into Google, it shows pictures <laughs> of Paper Man. So it's it's meant to evoke the the hand drawn style, but it's not. Yeah, it says motion paper, paper texture, ad advection. Really, by I could have sworn that I. I don't know. Anyway, um, whether it's hand drawn or not, um, they want it to look hand drawn. Um, these are the the type of. Uh, I mean, there's a short before every yeah. major motion picture when it comes to feature films like this. So, uh, and usually they get nominated for something. Um, paper man was, uh, won an Oscar, um, for best short, um, get, what is the horse one get, called? Get a horse. Get a horse was nominated. Um, and I, I really, I really liked a feast. It's a, it, basically about a, a, a dog and his relationship with, a, uh, his owner, um, through the meals that he gives the, the dog and something happens during that time where the meals change and uh, it's kind of interesting to watch <clears throat> that unfold in a sweet little way. I liked it a lot more than you uh, than Cody did. I know that. It's okay. Yeah. I, it was from what I saw, I was fine. I mean, I, but like I said, I didn't see all of it, so I can't really comment on it. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I liked get a horse way better than that. I loved get a horse, I, but I, but I'm a sucker for that old Disney stuff. Like whenever yeah. that, I love that they started using the steamboat Willie as a logo. Yeah. Oh yeah, so do I. I really like that a lot. And I, and I triple loved the the eight bit version for Wreck It Ralph. Yes, God, awesome. I love that so much. Uh, so bottom line, uh, while I wasn't totally impressed with it, I'd still recommend it. What are we talking about now? The movie. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Big Hero. Yeah, 6. Big Hero Six. I I can't comment on Feast. Uh, ethically, I, I would. <laughs> I would I would recommend it, but it's like it's not a solid recommendation at all. Uh, Don't go in expecting a Wreck It Ralph no, or no. even a Frozen. Yeah, it's it's definitely lesser Disney fare. Um, and again, uh, it's Disney Animation Studios, so I I don't know if I would still feel as you know firmly that they're beating Pixar, but I think that uh, you know they're definitely churning out good stuff well i mean compared to where they were 10 years ago when oh it yeah was, you know the uh atlantis yeah. uh just the kind of esoteric strange uh yeah and if, if you're okay with going into these this movie and expecting just you know a pretty standard superhero animation movie you know you, you should be pleased enough but um it does. It does have this like tinge of being super generic, and you've seen it before. And I mean, Baymax is great. Well, the, the, early Baymax. Early Baymax, early is, Baymax great, is great. But uh, but the rest of it, once it passes the halfway point, it looks like it could have. You know, it gets. It's everything's bright and spiky and yeah. and shiny, and it just looks the same as all kinds of other stuff you've seen. Yeah, I, I um, recommend it. I think that the first half is like you said is a lot stronger than the second but i mean even the superhero stuff even though it's a little bit generic or a lot generic then there's some fun scenes to be had so and uh, until it happens you know until the scooby-doo ending happens which <laughs> i never like uh yeah the the whole villain plot i was not a fan of just because it was kind of glaringly obvious uh, right yeah exactly and you know another thing i don't like is uh when a character's like a super genius and just solves stuff just by doing it, mm -hmm. like there's no again, there's no stakes. Yeah, it's like oh, I made these nanobots that can do anything. Like holy shit, that's <laughs> amazing technology. <laughs> and it's like oh yeah, this would this would change the world. So 
And he did it in a weekend to win a science project. Let's go ahead and move on to our next movie, Interstellar. Murph is a great kid. She's really bright. But she's been having a little trouble lately. She brought this in to show the other students the section on the lunar landings. Yeah, that's one of my old textbooks. She always loved the pictures. It's an old federal textbook. We've replaced them with the corrected <clears throat> versions. Corrected? Explaining how the Apollo missions were fake to bankrupt the Soviet Union. You don't believe we went to the moon? I believe it was a brilliant piece of propaganda that the Soviets bankrupted themselves, pouring resources into rockets and other useless machines. Useless machines? And if we don't want a repeat of the excess and wastefulness of the 20th century, then we need to teach our kids about this planet, not tales of leaving it. And one of those useless machines they used to make was called an MRI. And if we had any of those left, the doctors would have been able to find the cyst in my wife's brain before she died instead of afterwards. And then she'd have been the one sitting there listening to this instead of me, which had been a good thing because she was always the, the calmer one. A group of explorers make use of a newly discovered wormhole to surpass the limitations on human space travel and conquer the vast distances involved in an interstellar voyage. That's really vague. All right, we've all three seen this. Cody, you've seen this one twice. Yes. So why don't you start off? Yes, I saw it once uh, in a regular fake IMAX, or as they call it, Limax. Ooh, I haven't heard that. I didn't yeah. hear that. That's pretty good. That's good. Right? Yeah, I'm, I, I just can't. I don't even care about IMAX anymore. Why? Why was it fake? Because it's digital IMAX, it's not film projection, well, and it's not the same size screen. Yeah, in, the, in like the last six or seven years, with the proliferation of IMAX everywhere, it's gotten away from being the six-story screen that you're used right. to. Right, it's just a large screen now. Yeah, because I remember going to IMAX as a kid and being like, oh my god, <laughs> everything's so big. Pause. <laughs> pause. 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 <laughs> pause. But now it's just like, oh, it's bigger. Anyway, so you saw this I saw both it. digitally and on film. Yes, I saw the sev- I saw a seventy millimeter uh, IMAX, which is the the way that Chris Nolan wants you to see it. So, so was it a better experience, seventy millimeter? <sighs> Not really. I'll get into that later, but um, but we'll talk about the movie first. And yeah, we will probably need to spoiler zone this uh, at some point because it it gets freaky and weird. Um, well, and Christopher Nolan has purposely kept a whole bunch of stuff secret. Oh yeah, if you watch the trailers. You don't get anything from them. Oh, I went into this not knowing anything, and I watched the trailer half a dozen times. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. I don't you know what this is about. But the cool thing is, after you get out of this one, I I could give you a good synopsis of it. Yeah. Un- unlike um, his last one. Inception? Unlike Inception, I still couldn't really tell you. Really? Dream within a dream. Dream within a dream within a dream. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, back to uh, Interstellar. Um so this is a this is a sci-fi movie, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it has to do with you know, like like the synopsis. I don't. I wasn't paying attention during the synopsis. I'll be honest with it's you. It's very vague. So it's just people are going to space to save us. Yeah. Basically, the resources are running out on Earth. All that's left is corn. Uh, mm, corn. Yeah. And uh, and there's a lot of dust, and uh, people are choking on the dust, and uh, and basically the only way to save earth is to find a new place to live a new planet and in order to do this they travel uh through a wormhole and visit another galaxy and that's basically it um it's it's really interesting because i think that there is 
a chunk of this movie that is excellent. Um, I think that the moment from you know the the first mission to the visit uh, on the first uh, potential replacement for Earth is really good. Mm-hmm. I felt a little differently after I saw it a second time, and I'll get into that when you guys talk about it further. But I think that stretch is really a really solid, really really good. I think that uh, God, I don't, I don't again spoiler talk there's there's a moment that happens maybe towards the middle of the movie where another character appears you get a character that's been that's been talked about a lot and you finally see this character which if we all know how movies work yeah it's going to be somebody recognizable yes and it's played off and it's you know it's played off like a cameo i mean even though it's people know who it is because they read the casting or anything but yeah i think that's when the movie starts to get on a little shaky ground yeah. And I think that it's sort of like a steady decline after mm. that. Um the you know, I, I think what Christopher Nolan wanted to build here was a father daughter storyline and a connection of father daughter or parent child love. And I think that uh it works for the beginning of the movie, the first half, first third, and then it just I just loses it. I, he just, he, he, you know, it's sort of like the best way I can describe it is there are times in this movie where he wants to give you a pure hundred percent sci-fi movie. There are times where he wants to have this really emotional connection. And then there's like almost no in between. And it's like, it's gets stuck in this limbo between sci-fi and emotional connection. And it just sort of, uh, and then not to say that it's bad, um, it just it just lacks focus, I think, for a good chunk of it. Go ahead. Keith. I didn't get any of the father daughter stuff at all. I mean, maybe it's because I am a father of a daughter, but I mean, if it was something that it didn't seem like he was so close to his daughter, he left. Right. I mean, that's the thing. But but, that, but you you do, I mean, you agree that that's what he was trying to that's, do. Yeah, that's 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 yeah. what he was trying to do. But I mean, that. that the, the we're gonna have to turn off the, we're gonna have to turn on the spoiler Let's zone. There's no now. way because Let's do it. Activate the spoiler zone, Cody. Aye aye, Captain. Now entering the spoiler zone to avoid spoilers, fast forward to one hour, sixteen minutes and fifty two seconds. Okay, now that the wind has passed us by, we can <laughs> chilly day. we can spoil the hell out of this movie. Um You know what I liked about a movie I'm gonna jump off a tangent, but you know what I liked the movie about uh, like uh, another earth is that and if you haven't seen another earth, another earth appears in the you know distance, and there's not really an ex- uh, a reasoning why. Yeah, I like that the earth just appears, and here the worm the wormhole that appears is given. There's a reason why the wormhole is given, and it's they use the word they they put the, it there. the others the others or whatever or, they call it. I, no, they said they put it there, but they, I don't agree that it's. That it's there's a reason it's put there. Like there's no well, there is no explanation. No, yeah, it. you're there right. Is, there but, is later. Well, there's an explanation. But not really though. Well, you, it's I mean it's understood. It's assumed that they that it's you know like um, the the idea of the ghost was the the people who had already. But it but moved. the thing is it's a, it's it its existence is a paradox. It exists only to to facilitate its existence in the future. Yes. So there's no explanation for it. Other than that, they put it there. Yeah. Other but, than the fact but, that but, they put but it but there. But right. But there's no like how. Well, it, they say that wormholes are created by man. So anyway, this wormhole just 
appears out of nowhere, which is the, the portal to get to the other galaxy to find the planets where we're going to be saved and, you know, find a new home. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, it's a, gr- these are great ideas. I mean, there's no looking, you know, there's, there's, there's no way around that. I mean, there, Christopher Nolan has some um, brilliant things that he's put into this movie in terms of concepts. Um, I didn't get, I didn't like the way that they put it there. I just, I'd rather have the wormhole just have been there and, you know, they use it to their advantage. I I didn't like that second part of it. I don't know. Well, it's sort of the thing that connects the entire story together. Right. But that's this. It connects the second half of the entire story, which really gets messy. Um, Yeah. I don't know. The, the, uh, this movie, uh, the, the first half of this movie I thought was great. I was on board completely. Um, Go ahead and uh, there's this there's this scene where um, I'll let y'all talk about that one planet that they visit. Uh, the first one. The first one, which is amazing. That that whole um, well that whole scenario is is awesome. So there there's go ahead. Are you... Oh, well, I'll talk. Okay, so Derek. When they get to the other side of the galaxy, uh, they're looking for pings from people that have gone already ahead to uh, other explorers that say whether or not the uh, planet is habitable or right, not. Right, right. And there's one planet, I don't remember the name, if it had a name. But well, it was the name of whoever... Yeah, the, it was, it was, was orbiting there. close to a black hole car- called Gargantua. Yes. So uh, visiting this planet to pick up the, the, the scientists that's there and check on the habitability of it would involve time dilation. Right. Because it's so close to the event horizon of this black hole. So uh, they made calculations that one hour Earth time on this planet, once you get to the planet, time moves slowly, more right. slowly for you. So one hour on that planet equals seven Earth years. Yes. So knowing this, they've already spent two years venturing to this point. Knowing this, uh, Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway's characters have to make sure that they get off as fast as possible because otherwise their families are going to be older, you know. And the problem on Earth is going to get worse right. and they're running out of time to save it. So, But, like, Matthew McConaughey's real concern is his daughter. Yes. His, his family. Mostly his daughter because he doesn't seem to care about his no. son. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that she's going to be 14 years older by the time they spend two hours on this planet. Right. Um, so they venture out. Uh, it's... Um, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, Wes Bentley's character, uh, and I love the robots. I don't. I, don't, I know <laughs> Kiko, you didn't. I didn't find them funny or anything. I thought the robots were great. I, I was waiting for Baymax to come out. There's a robot. There's like these weird blocky sort of uh, Lego-y, Minecrafty robots. Yeah. One named Tars. Yeah. Another one named Case. But yeah. Uh, anyway, so they they land on the planet. And they find that the it's covered in a one foot tall, one foot deep ocean. Yeah, and the scientists, uh, their their colleague has been killed immediately. Yeah, uh, and it's just co- like a, a, mo- a mountainous wave is coming. Yeah, and uh, ends up killing West Bentley and uh, flooding their ship, and they have to drain it. And they lose a lot more time than they expected. Yeah. I mean, so they wanted they only wanted to be there for minutes if possible to get this guy and they end yeah. up staying there way longer. I guess it's implied a few hours. Yeah, a couple hours and then by the time they get back to the ship, their other colleague has been waiting 23 years for them yeah. to get back. And it's just it's a heart-wrenching moment for 
everyone. That and and you know, as as Matthew McConaughey watches twenty three years worth of transmissions from his family, and the, yeah. and you know, he sees his life passing by, and and you know, he sees a, a grandchild. And um, here's here's the thing that I actually thought that this was spectacular when I saw it the first time. The second time, there were some really really bothersome parts. Namely, they do not. Uh, express the passage of time when they're on the planet very well at all because it's supposed to be i mean if you if you just do simple math in your head they're there for three hours at least right and uh and they land immediately they get out into the ocean they find the wave they try to get back they drain it or i mean they, they get filled with they're in the crash or whatever and then when they drain it the thing comes on and says 45 minutes to an hour to get drained so that's only adding an hour. And, you know, if you've been watching, there's no cuts. There's no passage of time. It seems like they've only been there for like 10 minutes. Well, and I, well, and then even further, between that 45 minutes and an hour that they say it's going to be, it's like 10 minutes. And it's a, a singular scene that happens. And there's like there's no room to breathe. There's no passage of time. And it really doesn't connect with you that much. I agree with you there. I think maybe it can be explained away in that they weren't accurate in their assessment of how much time passed. If you want to think about it that way, because weren't they going to say it's going to be a, I mean, I don't think they said it's going to be exactly seven years. For right. It was a calculation. So, uh, but I agree. The editing's a little weird there because mm-hmm. it feels like it's all happening continuously. Well, and, think, and in a movie is so big. Yeah. Like, just <laughs> put a few more minutes, put some scenes where they're, Exploring, or, or, you know, take a shit, take a shot out of it. Take a shit. A long shit. That's going to knock out a couple of years. <laughs> I took a, 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 I took a 28 year, I took year a long a, shit. I took a three and a half year shit. <laughs> no, uh, it's a seven year shit. But, uh, you know, reestablished where they are. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I agree with you. The editing's a little wonky there. And it just didn't hit as hard the second time I saw it because it's like it, it, there, the passage of time is just not felt when you really think about it from that it's just like it's just in words you know there's a lot of it uh, there's a lot of stuff like that um like the movie's two hours and 49 minutes long yeah and there is a lot of several scenes that feel rushed like whenever matthew mcconaughey and his daughter find nasa it's like 15 minutes later they're asking him to fly the fly the, yeah the see ship. that's a that's a big problem that i had if he hadn't gone out did they know he was gonna go look for that hidden whatever they they, they nasa because if he hadn't gone out there, well, Matthew McConaughey sent the message to himself to go find them. Yeah. So they knew that he was coming. No. It's not implied that uh, that they knew he was coming, but when they so if there, he hadn't gone, then what were they going to do? They were going to. They said they were going to fly it by themselves. Because remember when Michael Caine's trying to recruit him, he says that you were going to go up there by yourself if I didn't show up. Or whatever. Oh, so why didn't they just go get him if they knew he was out there? Because they didn't know he was out there. See, I'm confused. It's it's again. It's the editing is not very clear in that part. It's it's really rushed. And then uh, the other scene I'm thinking of. Um, what am I thinking of? There was another scene that feels really rushed too. Like just all of a sudden they decide to do it. I don't know. I can't remember. Well, at least those two scenes. I know. I agree with you there on the. the I mean, I still think that scene, that sequence is really powerful. Yeah. And the, and the best part of the film. Yeah, it's it is the best part of the film. Absolutely. Um. When they finally uh, get to the other planet, planet two, where uh, the other the colleague of theirs has been sending favorable signals about the planet, and they land, and you find it's Matt Damon, yeah, um, as a guy named Man, which is not so subtle, 
yeah. as a man versus man plot point. But anyway, uh, it becomes glaringly obvious, at least to me right away, that he's space mad <laughs> and is yeah. going to fuck shit up. Yeah. And he does. And that was that was a really disappointing sequence of the movie for me. The whole Matt Damon thing. Like, I, I don't understand why he needed to kill anybody. Why did he need to kill yeah. Coop? Why did he need to, to blow anybody up? Why yeah. couldn't he have just taken their shit? Because he was mad. But it, he was mad. He was mad at Damon. <laughs> but I, that's the part of the movie that... Because that, that, as soon as you see Matt Damon... Like the whole scene kind of evokes. I know you're not either big Star Trek fans, but it evokes the the Wrath of Khan sequence where they find Khan's ship on this planet, and mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh fuck!" Because it even looks the same. Yeah. Uh, and they they thaw him out, and he starts talking because he's in hibernation. They start. He talks about uh, he's got a robot too. Yeah. One of the like, named Kip, and no, don't fix my robot. Yeah. Like okay, because something's. Obviously, something shitty is happening. And yeah. they realize, slowly realize on their own that this planet's a piece of shit. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it doesn't have the same feel like after you went through like the emotional ringer through the first one. It's just sort of like, well, how do you, how do you recover from that? How do you move on? And it's, and it's just sort of a, it's, it's just where the movie starts to unravel a little bit, I think. And I mean, he was sending the fake signals. In an effort to to be rescued, right? Basically, and I, it, I think if his motivation had been that from the beginning, it would have been obvious. I mean, yeah, it, it would have been less disappointingly obvious. I guess. Yeah, and I think somewhere around the, the before that, we get Anne Hathaway's speech about love, and and this is a this is a problem I have with Christopher Nolan, which is that I don't think he's I don't think Christopher Nolan, the writer, is a good writer. I think he's a good director, but I don't think he's a good writer at all. And I think that he like he sort of struggles with finding human emotion in writing it well. And Anne Hathaway's speech about love being I, I don't know how to describe it other than love being like a tangible thing that you can see and measure and whatever. It it feels so out of place in dialogue filled with like technical science wormhole stuff. And it's just like that's that's kind of the message that they try to bring home a few times is that love is the overarching thing that can heal everything and you and i were talking about this idea of love being able to heal everything. yeah like love fixes everything right exactly that's what happens <laughs> i can't stand the end of the movie frozen because that's how they stop everything from freezing over she's yeah. like oh duh it's love let me fix it now and she yeah. spreads her whole love around the you know land and then freezes it so whenever they use love as like a cop-out i can't I can't take it. I I don't know that it's a cop out so much as it is a big idea that's not really all the way formed. Because I, I think the end of this film, uh, you haven't seen two thousand one, Cody. No, but I think the end of this film borrows heavily from two thousand one. Oh, not only that, it's so hard to follow at times. I mean, it gets really trippy. And, yeah. yeah. And um, I will definitely say a second time watching it, I got everything finally. Oh yeah. I, I had missed a key line the first time I saw it, and I don't know if it was because the terrible sound mix. Oh, yeah. Or if I was just half paying attention. But uh, What was the line? It was a line about um, – oh, man, I'm going to – Because at the end, to sac- uh, Matthew McConaughey uh, sacrifices himself. I remember what it was. It was the line about how uh, 
the others built a three-dimensional space in their four-dimensional space to help you realize this. Because I was like, how the hell did he get oh, here? Okay. And so I, I didn't that. realize that the space was built for him in order to figure it out. And that's the thing that connected me. It's, I mean, it's really trippy because because you find out in this in this ending sequence that's just bizarre. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's that, it's going to lose a lot of people. That that Matthew McConaughey is the quote ghost who was spelling out things in Morse code uh, to his daughter and himself in the past, however long ago it's been now, yeah. 40 years-ish by the time this happens, 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It intercuts a lot with uh, – that's another thing that's confusing. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, there's scenes that intercut with what's going on on Earth but with no clear passage of time. Yeah. So like Matt Damon and, and and Matthew McConaughey are are fighting on this planet and it's intercut with uh, Jessica Chastain as as McConaughey's grown daughter. Yeah. Uh, clashing with Casey Affleck, his grown son, about uh, <laughs> leaving. Yeah. Leaving the farm because everybody's getting sick yeah. with a surprise cameo from Topher Grace. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, clearly. Uh, not knowing what the hell he's doing in this movie. <laughs> like, how did I get here? Remember when they were trying to make him a star? Yeah, I remember that was right around Spider-Man Three, right? Mm-hmm. When they yeah. really tried to push him into that. But yeah, I like Topher Grace. I wish he got better work. I, I just see him as Eric from that '70s show, and that's it. Yeah. Anyway, so it gets a little mind-bending and paradoxical. Yeah, it gets uh, weird. So, I mean, I. But that that scene that scene lacks emotion for me. I don't feel anything, and it's supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be heart wrenching. I mean, because he's you know he's crying. He's he's you know begging himself from the past not to leave. He's yeah. And uh, and yeah, something Kiko said was very important. Was that again? It's supposed to be this bond between father and daughter, and they're always supposed to know that love was the reason that she believed in him and she was going to come back. But they are disconnected for so long. That it's like they don't they're not even around each other that mm-hmm. much. And it's like, how do you feel that bond other than just this natural, you know, d- bond you have with your children? It's just it just doesn't it doesn't work for me. Well, the beginning of the film does a lot to show that they are of the same mind. And, yeah. And, and the same sort of person. Um, but he leaves when she's like 13 or 12. She's younger than I mean, she looks like she's a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a, well, I mean, she's, no, I think she was like 10. She had to have been yeah, younger. Yeah. Because I think she's in elementary school. No, I, I don't think so. Because her and her brother were in the same school. Yeah, but that doesn't mean yeah, anything. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's after the oh, sorry. apocalypse. School. Oh, I'm sorry. It's post-apocalyptic. I don't so know. She looks like a girl. She looks like a young girl. Because she's played by uh, the girl that was in uh, Twilight. Played the baby that uh, Taylor Lautner fell in love with. Do you remember that? I didn't see that. You didn't see the last Twilight movie? I haven't seen any Twilight movie. Esme oh. or something like Renesme. that. Renesme. Renesme. Yeah. Uh, she's 10 she's supposed to be 10 well there you go told you oh yeah I, I really messed that one up guys well she doesn't look like a teenager well she looks like a kid teenagers whatever <laughs> I guess uh, whatever doesn't really matter because I I get what you're saying but I think the movie makes the connection for us because we're never without the two of them on screen yeah but that doesn't mean that it's felt just well, because the connection's I, made. I, I know. But I, I mean, I know what he was trying to do. I just, it didn't I, work. I get, I, I agree that, that Christopher Nolan's not as always, his emotional reach, uh, kind of over, his, his, his emotional reach kind of overextends his abilities. Yeah. Um, 
and that's pro- we'll talk about that in the last segment. But I think overall this movie really worked for me. I think again, like with The Dark Knight Rises, and it's only because he's made a billion dollars yeah. for Hollywood that all the fat gets left in of something like this, and and all the kind of confusingness. Because I mean, oh, excuse me, it's uh, it's it's weird and it's it's long. It's too long. It's yes. two hours and fifty minutes. I mean, it's epically long, and there's a lot of huge ideas. Not all of them work. But I think it's it's impressive that that someone who made their living on superhero movies is getting to turn out these original ideas on such a massive scale, right? As Christopher Nolan is, yeah. Um, maybe he could use another writer to come in and and, and polish things. I think so. Uh, but as a as a filmmaker, it's impressive. I mean that that you know because can you imagine you know someone like Joss Whedon trying to turn out something like this? Yeah, I mean, one thing that Christopher Nolan can do without fail is scale, and uh, and uh, this this succeeds in in just the on just a pure scale level. I mean, there is some beautiful imagery in this. Yeah, um, just the ship against like the the vastness of this black hole. Yeah, or even uh, going inside the um, the wormhole. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so. Do you want to talk about your uh, 70 millimeter experience? Yeah, let's get out of the spoiler zone for this because I okay. think we're pretty much done there. Now leaving the spoiler zone. So rather famously, uh, Christopher Nolan is a big proponent of film. Yes. As a filmmaker. Yes. Something uh, which is, I guess, a dying medium or at least uh, I, on the way out. It is on the way out because I think that they have to specially order a lot of this film. Well, even even so shooting on film. Yes. Shooting uh, on film is definitely dying. And uh, projecting film I think is is as close to dead as it can, it can be right now. I think there's only two or three like film projectors in San Antonio <laughs> left. I have one. <laughs> yeah. I have a swell. I have two. I have a sixteen millimeter projector at my house and, yeah. a, and an eight millimeter. Well, I was thinking talking about theaters, but yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I knew that. Uh, but this was famously released two days early mm-hmm. on seventy millimeter IMAX, and I guess thirty five millimeter IMAX as well, and, and just regular thirty five millimeter. Oh yeah, on film. Yes, for uh, theaters that had the capability of showing it. Yeah, which. We don't have any regular theaters, I think, in San Antonio that could show the 35 millimeter. We had two. Oh, we had two. The Bijou showed it. Okay. And Alamo Draft House Park North showed it in 35. Oh, okay. Millimeter. But you saw the 70 millimeter IMAX. Yeah, the real deal IMAX. Um, and and let me just preface this by saying we saw this in digital IMAX the first time we saw it. And the sound mix, you know, if you've read any of the articles this week that have come out. The sound mix is not very good in this movie at times. Mm-hmm. You can't hear like the 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 um either the music or the sound effects are overpowering the dialogue a couple times. And I thought it was just the theater that we were in because yeah. it happens. Yeah. You know, you get a bad mix at a theater. Yeah. But apparently this was a worldwide issue. Yeah, and I will say that in the 70mm IMAX the sound was not as good as the digital IMAX because at the at Palladium the sound at the IMAX is awesome. It's mm-hmm. like it'll rattle your seat. And uh, it wasn't as good, but the sound mix was slightly better in the 70 millimeter uh, version. Now, picture wise, um, the, the best parts are when the 70 millimeter fills the complete screen top to bottom. Yeah. Um, and then it shrinks back down for uh, 
for the other parts that were not shot with an IMAX camera. And it's a little distracting. Um, I hate that. I hate it. Changing the aspect ratio is not bad in at least the, the digital IMAX because it's not that big of a difference. It is a huge difference in 70 millimeter because it's taking up a giant screen and then it's just shrinking it back down. And, and it, it allows you to, to disconnect a little bit because you, you realize you're watching cuts. Yeah. Because it goes, you know, uh, small, big, small, big, small. I remember big. that problem with The Dark Knight Rises, too, yes. at the same theater. Yeah. Um, here's the thing about, and uh, I, I know that people have this romantic feeling about film and shooting on film and projecting on film. What did you say to me? You said something, you said an exact quote, and I want you to say it now. Uh, what is it? You said, fuck film projection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that is what I said. Uh, it is dark. First of all, it is so dark. Like, um, like if you like, I mean, the colors and, and the lighting pops on digital projection, uh, and when you're watching film, it's just washed out. Well, a lot it's, of that has to do with the maintenance of the actual projector. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert was famously a crusader against people running their bulbs at a lower, um, I don't know what you call it, like a, a lower um, lumina- lumen. I don't know how you say that yeah. word, but it's luminosity. Uh, Maybe that sounds good. <laughs> the, sounds like it wasn't word. as bright as it could be because they, in theory, were saving the life of the bulb. Well, that's the idea behind uh, 3D movies too. 3D movies are super dark, and technically, you're supposed to run the bulbs at a brighter uh, light. And so, like, there was that famous thing with Alamo Drafthouse in Austin saying, "Hey, we're going to crank up the the brightness so that you don't get a dim picture when you're looking through the 3D mm-hmm. glasses." But anyway. You know, this particular theater, I don't know if it's all of them, but it was dark. It was washed out. You know, it has that, you know, it flickers a little bit. You you realize that you're watching film. And then, like, you know, like, bugs get on the screen and on the projector. <laughs> and, and, like, you're trying to focus on this really intense scene. And there's, like, a piece of lint on Matthew McConaughey's face that's, like, you know, four or five feet tall because of the IMAX screen. Right. Um, to me, it is just uh, it's a medium where I get nothing out of it. And I think that, uh, and and again, I did not. I mean, I guess I grew up with it, but I don't have this romantic feeling about shooting on film or projecting on film. I think that uh, there's also a loss of clarity too, and you know, uh, digital projection and digital film looks amazing. It's a solution to a problem that yeah. that existed. That film would break, film would burn, film would wear out. I mean, you look at a film like a film, uh, um, a reel. Um, <clears throat> print after uh, you know three or four weeks in the theater, and it looks like crap. Yeah, because it's a physical medium. Yes, that just gets beat to hell, and is in, in is it relies on uh, people working there to splice it together because it doesn't all come in one right. piece. You know, the people have to tape it together and stuff. I mean, it's it's archaic. Yeah, and and it just it just doesn't have the same look to it. And uh, and I get that I get the idea, and and I will say that the seventy millimeters. Uh, in full IMAX size looks really clear and it looks great. Um, but when you, when you have the, when you have it shrunken, well, I guess it's not shrunken, but it's, it's actually expanded because it's on a larger format. But, um, you know, the, the letterbox version or whatever you want to call it. Scope. You go from scope to IMAX. Yeah. So. It's uh it's, it's a little blurry yeah. and it's uh and it's uh, annoying. Yeah. No, I've never been a fan yeah. of it. Hey, what's that I hear? Oh, it's Rue's whistle, you guys. <laughs> Where is that sound coming from? Where's Rue? I don't. Rue died in the first one. We established this. Anyway, so that means we're giving out the URL 
to claim your free Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 tickets. Ready? Let's play, play that whistle one more time. I want to hear it one more time. If you're listening on headphones, it like has a nice pan. Yeah. Like it goes from left to right. No, oh, yeah, I like that. All right. Get your pen and pencil now to write Both this of them? down. Both of them? Yeah. <laughs> pen <laughs> or pencil, I meant. Write it on your pencil with a pen. <laughs> or you right. can just, you know, type it in to your computer. All right. Here's the URL. HTTP. <laughs> I'm not going to do that part. All right. Uh, go to www.lionsgatescreenings.com. That's lions, L-I-O-N-S. G A T E S C R E E N I N G S dot com slash mocking J C S all together M O C K I N J A Y C S. I think you missed a G in there. Did I? M O C K I N G J A Y C S. C S for Cinesnob. Yes. And claim your. Mocking J passes. Remember, they're very limited, and when they're gone, they're gone. So oh, they're gone. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So don't <laughs> please don't complain to us because you were slow. Yes. <laughs> so that's the only way you're going to find out this URL. We're not going to post it on Facebook. We're not going to tweet it. We're not going to have it tattooed on anybody. Yes, you have to listen to this wonderful program. In order to get this, and, and don't share the time with anybody else. Yeah, you don't jerks. share. Yeah, don't share this link. Why would they please? share the time? They just share the link. Well, yeah, don't do that either. <laughs> so yeah, this is going to be uh, November eighteenth at Santico's Palladium here in San Antonio. You got to be in San Antonio to use it. Yeah. So, because otherwise, why would you drive? Just... Or, or fly? If, I mean, we're internationally known. Why <laughs> to come see a movie four days early? Yeah. Uh, this is only part one, though. So, so. And again, the link lionsgatescreenings.com slash mockingjcs. It's all one word. All right. So, play it one more time. One more time. Ruse whistle. Okay. Come on. Come on. Okay. Do it. Do it. Okay. Can you whistle that? <laughs> Whistling doesn't work so well on on this this <laughs> setup. Close pretty enough. good. It's good. I can't. All right, so uh, <laughs> finishing up with Interstellar, I I recommend it. There's there's stuff that I mostly loved. There's stuff that's frustrating. There's stuff that probably crosses the uh, the level of of cheese. Some of the dialogue, <laughs> uh, like we talked about, I I don't think Christopher Nolan's the best writer. Yeah. I think he's a fantastic director, and I, I love that he takes these chances. I love that there's a guy that, <clears throat> that made his money off of Batman that, that turns out these you know, smart science fiction, well, adult-oriented blockbusters. And he keeps to his roots because you know, his second movie was Memento, which is a super brainy yeah. movie. And even Inception was brainy, even if yeah. it doesn't ultimately – make a lot of sense when you think about it. I think that's one of these things with these movies as uh, they don't necessarily hold up to close scrutiny. It's more about yeah. the ride. Well, and I, you have to appreciate Chris Nolan for swinging hard every time. Um, I, I think I, I do recommend it. Um, I, I think that it's a little bit less successful than it, um, than it intends to be. 
I think that there are parts of this movie that, you know, clearly display the issues that I think a lot of people have with Christopher Nolan. We'll talk about that shortly. Yeah. Um, I, I think that on an emotional level that is where the movie really starts to fall apart a little bit under scrutiny. And I think that, um, I think that, you know, again, I think there's an hour chunk of this movie that is absolutely fantastic. And then I think there's two hours of, uh, you know, not as good. And then of just plain old weird. And, uh, um, I think that overall it's good. I like it. Um, but, um, I'm not like, you know, super enthusiastic about recommending it, but it's good. I recommend it too. I, I'm personally more interested in uh, the sci-fi f- um, stories that are more intimate, uh, which this is not even close to being no, intimate. It's, no. it's just a huge you know, spectacle. Uh, but there's some great uh, concepts in here. I think that's what uh, Christopher Nolan has going for him here. Um, yeah, so I think that uh, you know, visually, um, technically, uh, it's, it's a wonderful um, uh, movie. To, and you have to watch it on the big screen. There's no way around it it's just like gravity you can't not not see this on the big screen it just doesn't make any sense if you wait for it to come out on blu-ray or anything like that so if you're gonna if you have have any plans or inkling of wanting to see this uh movie call kiko call me up and (laughs) (laughs) um go go see it at the theater because um there's no real other way to watch a film like this so um yeah, I recommend it. It's it's, it's a it's a solid film. It just it gets really messy in certain spots because of the screenplay, and it gets way too trippy for my taste um, in the last half. So, all right, let's go move on to our last segment. We had a conversation on Facebook the other day, Cody and I did, mm-hmm. uh, about Christopher Nolan and about the critical reaction that comes from a movie that comes. Uh, out after a film like this. And I noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed either, there seems to be a lot of, of reviews that seem to review Christopher Nolan as a director, mm-hmm. as a filmmaker, as much as they review the film itself. Yeah. I had something I wrote about this, but I can't remember what it was. Can you, can you pull that up? Cause it was smart, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I had a couple things too. That, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. We had yeah. a, we had an intelligent conversation about it, but I can't remember it. Yeah. It sounded really smart then. Uh, basically your idea was, um, you know, they're reviewing the merits and the flaws of, of of Nolan as a director and his past work as much as they review the film. And is it fair to review the film in this way? Is it fair to the film? Is it fair to the filmmaker? Um, and, and kind of what triggers this sort of response to certain filmmakers where you want to, uh, you know, for better or worse, take a look at the filmmaker right. itself as opposed to just the film in like a vacuum, you know? Well, I think you're automatically going to tie in whatever he's done to his past work. I mean, that's just natural as somebody who's reviewing movies. Um, but it's really unfair to, I think, to to do it all, too much. I mean, you really have to look, I think, as Interstellar as just a standalone type thing. But I feel like that all the way around with anything. Um, th- that's why I hate when people are like, "Oh, did you read the book? Uh, oh, you didn't read yeah. the book? Oh, you know." I, I'm and I tell them, "Well, I'm not. You know, that's not my job to read the book. I don't." I'm disconnected from that completely. I'm just looking at that from I'm looking at a movie from a movie yeah. movie's perspective. So I think it's the same way here. You can kind of pull in some of his other stuff just because it's, you know, in the same canon as what he's done or has kind of the same themes or uses the same type of uh uh different uh, the same kind of setups and things like that, but I mean, if you do it too much, it kind of gets a little 
annoying. I mean, I, I just noticed – I brought it up because I noticed this in a lot of films. It, it usually – I mean, sorry, a lot of reviews above this film. It just – it seems to be a lot of – and this is all anecdotal, so don't don't think I'm, I'm counting the reviews and, and mentions. But it just seems like there's a lot of – I didn't like this Christopher Nolan movie and this is why I didn't and I see it in this film. Oh right. So I, I think that I think that it is a legitimate thing to write about, um, because I think I think the point you were just getting at is that when Christopher Nolan has things that come out as issues over and over and over again, right? Then you sort of have to write about these Nolanisms, if you will. But no, I, I think that uh, you know there are things that Nolan is just known for not being particularly well for writing female characters. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of his stuff feels distant, and and he he doesn't seem to have a grasp on uh, emotional things or, or sort of human relationships, and um and, and you know a lot of his a lot of his di- uh, dialogue is super cheesy, and he's known for doing too much. I don't know that it's super cheesy. Well, okay, and he's known for doing a lot of over explaining, for example, in some right. in some dialogue. I mean, these are all things that are well documented issues among people who watch film. Uh, of Christopher Nolan. So I think that it's fair to bring that up, but also I think that it's fair to, um, for example, if Scorsese puts out a movie and it's not as good as his previous stuff, it's really difficult to separate that. It's really difficult to not bring that in. In the same way that, you know, if you listen to a band who puts out a disappointing album or if you go to a restaurant and the food sucks that night, you're going to be like, well, I'm used to this being really good and it's not this time. And and are you really able to separate past experiences? I, and those? Yeah, I think so because I mean, you're not going to sit there and write a, or at least I didn't sit there and write a review about Hugo and bring in how good Goodfellas was. You know, it just doesn't. I mean, it, it, there well, has to be some kind of tie-in to his past work to e- even like remotely start bringing in other but, things but, like that. But you would say something like, "This is something unlike Scorsese's never done before," with Hugo. Yeah, but I'm not. But that's comparing it to past work. I mean, it's the same idea. It's not. It's not saying it's not as well, good as this, or it's not as bad but I, as this. But the difference is that is it's not critically comparing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's like you're true. comparing it just by saying this is something he hasn't done before. But if you're saying this isn't as good as something he's done before, that's a different story. Yeah, that's true. I could sit there and write a Hugo review and not mention anything about his past work, or I could sit there and write about. Everything that connects into Hugo somehow. Okay, well, what if what if P.T. Anderson, your favorite director, were to come out with, let's say, Inherent Vice is not as good as you thought it would be? Mm-hmm. Would you be able to say, okay, th- I mean, if you say this is his first bad movie, that would be comparing it critically to his past body of work because he's a guy who's known, who hasn't really, in your opinion, in a lot of people's opinions, made a bad movie yet. Mm-hmm. So it's like... Would you be able to look at it as a singular experience or would you look at it as, oh, it's the first bad movie he's made in a long line of good movies? I mean it's just difficult well, yeah, to do. I, yeah, I think I'd do both ways. But, but what, I'm not sure what I would put out in terms of like a review or anything like that. But, I mean, yeah, you, yeah it's hard to disconnect when you – it just depends. I mean I, how, how invested I, are you in certain things? Well, and I think it's I – mean, we were talking about this in our conversation before is that it's either success or – kind of infamy. Yeah. Like if, if there's, if there, you know, if you, you have a massive blockbuster in, in a series of them, like Christopher Nolan has with Batman, the Batman films, and then something comes along, you're, you're always, people are looking at it as a Christopher Nolan film before they're looking at it as a sci-fi epic, right. like interstellar. And I, I think the same goes for someone like Spielberg 
Yeah. Or uh, God, who else? Uh, we've talked about this before. Like just set of kind of one, you know, directors that overpower their work. Scorsese, obviously. Oh, the directors that overpower their work or directors yeah. you the, can... the, the, their reputation overpowers. I think James Cameron's on that. You know, yeah. you, you think of it because who gave a shit about Avatar other than it was Cameron? You know yeah. what I mean? Well, and I think that there's there's two different things at hand here. There is, um, is it is it easy or hard to do to leave it out, and is it fair? And I think those are two different questions. Because is it fair? Not really. I mean, um, ideally, you want to be able to look at um, that uh, a film, um, you know, straight on, uh, you know, um, without anything mm-hmm. coming in. But on the on the on the other side. It's you know you need context. I mean right. you have to write within context. Well, I mean I and this people may see this as unfair, but anytime I review a remake, I can't I can't not yeah mention the, the what it's based on just because it doesn't exist in a vacuum to me. Yeah, you know like when I reviewed RoboCop earlier this year, it was I mean in the forefront of my mind and in the review was the original film because something like that I think begs the comparison. Sure. I don't think that necessarily a director's derivative work from whatever made them successful is necessarily something that needs to be compared to something they did before. Right. So I think it's a slippery slope. It is. Yeah, I think it's unfair. Um, I'm not saying that I don't do it because I do, but I think it's unfair to the film maker, especially if they're really trying to disconnect themselves from what the other people have done in the past, even though they're you know calling a RoboCop and – Making a remake or a <laughs> yeah. reboot or a, you know it's hard. It's just it's yeah you're right. It's 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 yeah it's borderline unfair, but the, but it's not unreasonable. I don't think, and I also think that especially in the example we were talking about, where you can point to things that are um, that are qualities of the director that either work or don't work. I mean, it could go both ways. Um, but when you're talking about things that they do as filmmakers or filmmakers or as writers that have become you know what is their personal style their their unique style you you i think you it's certainly within your rights to bring that up in a review for sure um especially you know like we were talking about with some of nolan's things that he doesn't do particularly well i think it's completely fair to bring that up and bring other movies into it but um well like a good example would be like tim burton i mean it's hard not to say something that's it's tim burton-esque type i right. think i've used that word before yeah. and, and um, that in its very nature is comparing it to other things but maybe not critically but right it's more of a stylistic comparison right but even then i think i think that if you're it just all depends on the context because you could well, you could critically compare the stylistic parts right. too so but if you, if you just say something is tim burton-esque i don't think that's necessarily critical comparison i mean you could obviously and i've done it compared current day tim burton to to past tim burton yes and it's you know it hasn't been favorable well and it's like anytime we talk about a, a director like for example we've been talking about jason reitman when we did when men women and children and talking about how he's just in like this career tailspin right now because of how bad labor day and men women and children are and of course we say he's in a tailspin because we know that he's made you know a, a handful of really good movies and so you know, just in that very nature of talking about him, we're we're bringing in his past work, and it's like, can you judge? I mean, is it is it fair to judge? Um, you know, a, a, you know, men, women, and children, and say, hey, 
this used to be a director that made really great stuff, and now he made this not so great movie. Yeah, now that I think about it, I think it's up for grabs too because they they use it to market as well. I mean, they use Jason Reitman, director of Juno, and right, you know, up in the air. They don't say director of Labor Day. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, or you know, or the, even uh, Big Hero Six from the makers of Frozen. Yes, right. exactly. Wreck It Ralph, not so, of. Uh... So yeah, they invite the comparisons when it's beneficial for them. I mean, I but I to. Personally, marketing is a totally different yeah, thing. Yeah, that is a totally different thing. You know, I don't think I, – I, I think Jason Ryman would be happy that we remember his good stuff and not his – like, oh, help me remember, you know, how great <laughs> um, Up in the Air was in comparison to what I've been doing before. But but I think it's I think it's totally fair to point out if a, if a, uh, if a director, for example, is in the middle of a streak of not great movies after they were known for making good movies because we know that it's in them to do it. And uh, I just think I think it's a I think it's a fair thing to do. It's it's again it's a slippery slope. I think in some instances it's fair, and some it, it maybe isn't the most fair. But I think that it's all fair game. Yeah, I mean, like I, I agree with Kiko, like you said at the beginning. Like I don't agree with the comparing it to the book. Yeah, you know that's I mean it's totally different mediums, and I think a lot of these we've talked about it before, but young adult novels especially they tend to be slavish to the book. And it hurts filmmaking as a process yeah. because there's no adaptation. And I think that's that's the reason people go to movies is to see something different than what you can see at home. Uh, that's kind of a tangent, but it, it's it's it to compare it to a TV show, to compare it to a remake, or to compare a remake to the original. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's fair. Uh, compare director. That's probably a little shakier because most people maybe don't follow it. Yeah. I mean, with big giant directors like Christopher Nolan or Spielberg or Cameron, I think that's that's fair. But I don't think the average person, which is really what you're writing to, yeah. You know I mean, um, <clears throat> as much as they hate you half the time, and as much as they agree with you by not mentioning you at all. Well, and I also, yeah, I also think that as critics the three of us will write with the intention of looking at things at a, a, you know, in a vacuum and as a singular piece of work. I don't think that we, we don't set out to compare. I do. I, I will freely admit I do with remakes just cause I can't just cause it's such a, such a historic, I mean, just it's cause that's all it exists as to me. Right. But, but I mean, taking that out of the equation, like you didn't sit down for interstellar and go, okay, Let's see if this is Inception or right. better than Inception or whatever. Okay, yeah. We're looking at it from, you know, this individual singular thing. And I think that, you know, it's difficult because you say we're writing for the person. We're writing for just the average moviegoer, which is true. And, you know, the first thing that people ask when they ask you about movies is, is it as good as this? Is it as good as that? Is mm-hmm. it, and it's like yeah. they invite they invite it. They want it. And so it's like, you know, it's 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 a weird, <clears throat> weird balance to have. No, yeah, that and like I was saying, that's the biggest thing I have with remakes is if people ask me, people ask me, hey, is RoboCop as good as the original? Right. Well, <laughs> well no, no, it's not because it's. Well, in, in, it's. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a remake doesn't automatically equal worse than the original, but you know, that's that's the only information most people want. Yeah, is it better than this? Like, I mean, even with Interstellar, people will ask you, is it better than Inception? And I've never, I haven't heard that personally. I but, have really. Yeah. Did you? I'm looking up your review. Did you mention Interstellar in your review? 
I it's the movie he watched. I didn't mention. Sorry, that. did you mention Inception <laughs> in the review? I did not. I, wow, I didn't mention good. anything else. Did you Did you talk about Nolan as a director? Uh, I don't remember. See, I think it just I depends did. on on what how you're. I mean, it depends on how I'm feeling that day. I'm like, oh, do yeah. I really want to bring in Inception? But is it True. But is it fair game or not? I think is the big question. I think uh, to an extent, yeah. But if 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 you if you color it with, I didn't like Inception, so I'm not gonna like this. I mean. Not saying that people go in with an agenda, but you can see an agenda sometimes. Yeah, you know, you can feel, uh, and and I mean, we do it even too. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, and sometimes there is a preconceived notion in my head, like we're gonna talk about next week. I think uh, the Kirk Cameron film. Oh, is it, it next week? It hits theaters next week. Oh wow! You need to watch it. Kirk Cameron saving Christmas. <laughs> I went in with it because knowing Kirk Cameron's film output as an evangelical Christian. You're an evangelical Christian? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> you yeah. said as an evangelical no, I, Christian. No, knowing Kirk Cameron's output as an evangelical oh, okay. Christian. I it was poorly worded. Put I, a pause I'm in sorry. there. Anyway, I, I had a preconceived notion of what to expect. And just by the interviews he's given and by the press for the film, and I got something totally different. I'm not saying I got something good, but I didn't get what I expected. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but so, you're man enough to admit that. Yeah. Like I'd be man enough to admit like if you know, what's a what's who's a terrible uh, director? Uh, Uwe Boll. Selter and Freidberg. Yeah, if Selter and Freidberg made an awesome film, I'm not going to come out and go, eh, eh, eh. all their other work sucks, so this sucked too. I don't care if it was, but if they made a generally good movie, I'd come out and be like, okay, they surprised me. Not that that's going to happen or anything. Anytime <laughs> you watch, soon. you watch, they'll have a renaissance. Yeah, when they're when they're <laughs> accepting their Oscar, you'll be like, Ugh. I should have. I should have saw this coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't look for a bias personally. Yeah. I, is that what you'd call it? Would you call it a bias? I don't know if I'd call it a bias as much as I would call it sort of prejudging or uh, or um, you know just comparison. I mean, it's, it, it is. we've immersed ourselves into this world where there's going to be biases. We hate certain directors. We love certain directors. I hate Kevin Smith. You know that for a fact. I've said it, but I didn't go into Tusk thinking that I'm going to hate. I actually like Tusk more than y'all did. I know. So. I know. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you just, I disconnected myself completely from what he's done in the past and what I didn't like. And I saw, you know, Tusk for. And you loved Johnny Depp in that movie. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, guys, Johnny Depp's in it. He's he gets, awesome. He gets like six solid minutes of mugging, <laughs> like in a funny voice, you guys. Yeah. Spoiler for So Tusk. I think it's easier for us to disconnect, but for the general population, I think it's harder. Do you, how, how well do you think the general population knows directors other than the big, oh, big ones? Oh, not at all. Who's, who, so we got Spielberg, Nolan. Tarantino would be Tarantino, thrown in now. True. Um, uh, I would say James Cameron. So that's four. Anybody else? I don't know. Ben Affleck. <laughs> you think? Not I, yet. You know what? Maybe. Yeah. Because he's uh, he's he's famous for being something else. Maybe uh, Clint Eastwood. Maybe. Even though his his output's kind of gotten safer the last few years. Maybe the Coen Brothers. Maybe. Maybe. Um. JJ, oh, you said JJ. I didn't say Abrams, but no. Abrams for sure. We're just doing names. Now. We're just saying directors' names. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm just trying to think of somebody. That... Well, and obviously, there's uh, there's the brands that are that are in and of themselves 
people expect certain quality like Disney yeah. or Pixar or Marvel. I, I just think it depends on how – I mean the people who go to the movies once a, once every couple months, probably not. But if you have like a casual film fan, yeah. I think directors I mean, are I'm, pretty well known. Well, I don't know. Michael Bay. Michael Bay, yeah, for better or worse, right? But, you know, I mean, people love a movie like Little Miss Sunshine, but I guarantee if you went out and asked 10 people on the street right now who directed it. Yeah. And I think the same goes for, uh, like, Forrest Gump. People would, don't know that who oh, Zemeckis right. is. Right, exactly. Even though he did that and Back to the Future. Yeah. Anyway, I think we're off topic, but... I think that, that wraps it up wrap well. it up. <laughs> what do we have next week? Next week we have the long-awaited Dumb and Dumber 2 Dumb and Dumber 2. God, long-awaited. 20 years long-awaited. Yeah. yeah. We also have Whiplash. Yeah. And we have... Uh, I think we have Survi- uh, Kirk Cameron Saving Christmas. Saving, I believe it, it opens November 14th. Saving Christmas. Is that yeah. wide? Uh, as wide as a release like this is going to be. Are you, are you... Do you still have a chance to talk to him? I... It's on my schedule right now to talk to him on Thursday, so... This coming Thursday? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it must be coming out this week. God, what are you going to talk to Kirk Cameron about? Are you go- now? This is a real question. Are you going into it with a bias? <laughs> you have a preconceived notion of Kirk Cameron. I know you do. Are you um, going at this? Are you going at this? I haven't squarely? decided yet. I haven't decided yet because I've never in my entire career have gone into a um, interview with an agenda. Um, I hate when people go into reviews with agenda. Like I'm going to get them to say this, or I'm going to you know get them right. pissed off. I've gotcha. never done that and. The hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews I've done. But for some reason, I want to do it with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we will talk about the movie next week. I don't know if I am, though. I might, I might just go in and go, so what was your inspiration behind, you know, Saving Christmas? Uh, you know what, though? I think he has an axe to grind, frankly. Yeah, I mean, If you, I think if you so. look at him on TV, he's, I mean, you know what? I don't care what your beliefs are. Right. In general. Right. But when you have an axe to grind with the public that doesn't exist, like Kirk Cameron's typically doing, and the marketing for this movie is he's saving Christmas from the heathens. Like right. That want to, that want to, the, the whole war on Christmas thing. And it's just not what the movie's about. Yeah. So maybe I'll ask him about that. Well, he's going to get pissed off. That's going to piss him off. You think so? I, I, I don't see any way this movie comes out. I mean, this uh, interview comes out without some sort of uh, confrontation. I just don't want to. I, I have a feeling that he's going to be the type of person that I'm going to get to ask him one question. He's going to go off for 10 minutes. Didn't you question Alexa Vega's religion in your interview with her? Yeah, but I mean, that's something that she's open to talking about. Right. I think Listen. that's a relatively... I mean, she doesn't wear it on her on her sleeve. Yeah, and, and I wasn't trying. She's normally not wearing sleeves. <laughs> she, she doesn't wear it on the top of her hat and tattooed on her face like Kirk Cameron does. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I think it's an interesting topic, and it, you know, I I'd want to ruffle a little feathers with him at least. You know, with one. I'm not again. I'm not. I don't know if I'm going to go in and you know blatantly piss him off, but genuine questions that I have might do that, or maybe they won't because he's Christian. You can't really get angry when you're. I mean, I've seen him be. I've seen him on on interviews. Just, I mean, he's he's got an axe to grind. Mm. I mean, and that's his thing. I mean, it works for him. I assume he believes it all. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't really care. But that's his market, and he's he's cornered a nice little chunk of it. I do want. I do want you to ask him if he's if he's pleased that his Left Behind movies did better at the box office than Nicolas Cage's. <laughs> 
Please, please ask him that. Okay. And are, and are better received critically. Yeah, that's also kind of crazy when you think about it. So Dumb and Dumber 2. Dumb and Dumber 2, Whiplash. What is Whiplash? It's an independent movie about a, a drummer in a very mean Oh, that's right. Uh, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Uh, also, uh, Rosewater comes out. Oh, I hope to see it, but I don't know if... Yeah, we might get a chance to review that. I'm hearing lame things. I've heard mixed things. I, I haven't heard anything John Stewart. bad, but... By, by lame, I mean mixed. <laughs> I don't know your dictionary. Sorry. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> uh, so if you want to get a hold of us, that's it, right? That's it for next week? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think we're going to be on the lights. So. Is that something else that's coming out? Yeah. Oh, well, right. maybe. Dumb and Dumber 2 is going to be enough for us, I think, to talk about. I, I need to go rewatch Dumb and Dumber I did. this weekend. I did this but weekend. You watched it on TV, though, right? What's the? It's a PG thirteen movie. What's gonna? What's missing from it? I don't know. I haven't seen it on TV. Oh, I nothing. I, I think I remember it well enough. They edit out big gulps. Well, see <laughs> <laughs> like what? Uh, okay, so if you want to reach us, you can email us podcast <clears throat> at cinesnob.net. Let me take a drink of water here while I. Uh, Talk, Cody. You can you can fill the blanks here. Podcast at cinesnob.net If you want to talk to us via email, send us an email, a uh, suggestion of what you'd like us to talk about. If you love us, if you hate us, you can tell us that. Get, a, get email us there if you get pissed off that you didn't get your Hunger Games Mockingjay. Or email passes. us if you have a question you want me to ask Kirk Cameron. Oh yeah, yeah. got any questions you want Cody uh, Kiko to ask Kirk Cameron or Cody? Cody can ask yeah, too. I can ask too. <laughs> Uh, or questions you want me to ask Cody about Kirk Cameron. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's even better. If you have any questions you want to ask me to ask Kiko to ask Kirk Cameron, <laughs> then send them on over. Do you want to ask uh, Cody if uh, Like Father, Like Son is on Netflix, Watch Instant, featuring Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore? <laughs> maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll bring up that movie. That was before, I, you know, he, he went like hardcore evangelical Christian like back then. I wonder what the turning point is, like if you can see it in his career. Working with Dudley Moore, probably. <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, wasn't he a drunk? Yeah. Or am I just thinking of um, I think, I think Arthur on the rocks? You're probably just cut- <laughs> Yeah, you're probably just, just... Talk about not being able to disconnect myself <laughs> from things. He probably was. He probably enjoyed the, the drink or two. But, I, <laughs> but no, I, I think Kirk Cameron's thing was uh, growing pains when he got somebody fired for being in Playboy. Oh, really? I didn't know (laughs) co-stars. Anyway, if you want to call us, you can uh, leave us a voicemail, 920-FILM-210. That's 920-3456-210. Reviews on iTunes, reviews on Stitcher. We like them. And hopefully, sometime soon, better production value on this very podcast. You know what? Episode 25 is coming up. Yeah. It's a good time to do it. I think so. <laughs> Better production values. What does that mean? You, you're just talking about like... We're going to have an intro an and intro. some music and some stuff. I mean, because I don't know what else we can improve. Yeah. Well, no, well we'll I have... mean, not like that. Not like, <laughs> you know, guys, it's pretty perfect, perfect right now. <laughs> we could just... It's, uh, just a bunch of dudes talking. Like, what is <laughs> what just, other production values do you need? Well, we're going to start adding like laser beam sound effects and I uh, think, a laugh track. I think, like I mentioned earlier, 30 Seconds to Mars playing under the whole show. <laughs> we're just going to add more Rue Whistle. Every, every, don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) I don't don't have it open. Okay. Because we can't, we're not giving it away. All right. uh, That's going to do it for this week. I'm Jerry Kingery. I'm Cody Viapagna. And I'm Kiko Martinez. Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.